Today we have a special treat. We get to hear from John Firsty. He's got a great. <laughs> was that just me? Woo-hoo! I thought it Yay. was all of us. <laughs> so let's welcome John. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, everybody. I have a fan. Thank you, Charles. That's our, our commitment to each other. Positivity. Hey, it's great. To, it's always fun to have a chance to speak to you, and I uh, more often than not have a guitar around my neck, and it's always fun when get to hear other people play and enjoy it from a different vantage point and, of course, have the opportunity to speak, and so thank you in advance. So the last big church holiday we had was a couple weeks ago. It was May 20th, Pentecost Sunday, right? If you were here two weeks ago, we celebrated this beautiful kind of culmination of the church calendar. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit with all of her gifts and her empowering presence, a very powerful day. And this idea that God's Holy Spirit would be poured out on everyone with no limits. That was Pentecost Sunday. That, if you look at the church calendar, which we refer to a lot these days, it's an interesting thing because you can see that, here it is down here, and it kind of wraps up this whole season of holiday that begins back in November and Advent leading up to Christmas and then into Lent and Easter and Pentecost. And then, and then, then we hit this green part, this whole chunk of ordinary time, which now this is all kind of new to me, but my initial reaction is I was like, ugh, ordinary time. I want the favorite day of the week. I don't want Wednesday. You know, I want... And you see that a big chunk of the church calendar is all about ordinary time. There are no feasts. There's no fasts. It's just kind of this, you know, at first it seems a little bit boring, to be perfectly honest. But there turns out to be great wisdom in acknowledging that there are big chunks of life and the church calendar that are just about the regular business of living. That's kind of how life ends up being. So ordinary time is actually a good season to take stock. It's a good season to look over your life, our lives, and think, hmm, what do we think? Where are we going? What do we want? And I think June in particular, the month of June that we've now just begun, is a month of significance. There are some significant anniversaries in June. June, a lot of things have happened. For example, I know you're going to want to know this, but on the 28th of June, I'm going to be celebrating my 32nd wedding anniversary. Let's just hear. Look at these embryos. Can you believe that our parents would allow us to get married at the age of seven? Now, that was us at age 21, 32 years ago. So I, that's a big anniversary, right? Okay, one last time. Aww. Yes, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Well, it's not the only anniversary that's going on. Did you know that right now is actually the 14th anniversary, right, Charles, of you guys moving down here? Did you know that? Yeah. It is. 14 years ago, Charles and Caroline and the crew moved down here 14 years ago, right now in June, to start this crazy thing called the river. Thank you. Yay. That's a big anniversary, 14 years. And then 10 years ago, it was, the, it was 10 years ago this month that Sarah and I joined in this crazy thing called the River 2. And what a fun, if, if unpredictable at times, ride that it has been. And despite some ups and downs, we are all truly excited about what our church has become, what our community is, and what it's becoming. We're really, uh, we really are having a good time. Yeah? 
Yes, we are. That's good stuff. So when you hit this 10-year mark like Sarah and I have, it's a nice round number, and it gets you thinking a little bit, right? Ah, a decade. And it gets you, at least in my mind, it gets you thinking about the future a little bit. What about the next 10 years? What will my life look like? What, what are things going to be like in 2028, right? You sometimes go in that direction. As you might imagine, we as pastors and leaders spend a lot of time thinking about how best to lead and pastor our community. Like, what about the future? Where are we going? What does God have for us, and how are we going to get there? What are the steps that we should take as a community? And so as we have been pondering these questions for the last, you know, for a while, there's a book in the Bible that I have found to be especially helpful in thinking about questions like that. Now, of course, this thing I'm referring to in the Bible doesn't deal with any specifics about how church life should work in downtown Manhattan in the year 2018. It doesn't deal with marketing campaigns or budgets, but it does, it does have all kinds of encouraging, hopeful things to say about what community and life is really all about, how we as individuals and as a church body can really thrive. That's good stuff, regardless of the specific situation. And I'm referring to the letter in the New Testament called Ephesians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And it's a letter that Paul writes to a very small church located in this big and highly developed urban center, the city of Ephesus. And even though, of course, it was written a long time ago, about the year 60 A.D., and of course, it's a completely different context, the author has a way, I think, lays out a way of seeing life a way of thinking about life and church that I think is still super appealing and relevant. So that's my pitch. Are you with me? It's a vision, I think, about how our lives as, as individual people and as a community can work best. That's what I think is in here. So shall we take a look? You're supposed to be excitedly encouraged at this point. That sounds like a great idea. Let's read what it says. All right. So if we were in the first, first century, if we were actually uh, uh, the church gathered in Ephesus, what they would probably do is unscroll and just read the entire letter front to back in its entirety verbatim. But let's not do that. Let, let me give you a shortened version. Let me give you just a condensed look, a three-minute version that touches on the, the overall tone and the theme that, that Paul uh, has for this, this little church gathered in Ephesus. So let's read this together. No, I'll, I'll read it. You just listen. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He has showed his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. Isn't that a nice kind of upbeat way to start? You with me? Like, that's nice. I like that. That's a cheerful way to get things going. Then he says this. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. You are all citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house where God lives by his spirit. That's big picture stuff. 
He's starting with his big macro look, the ultimate plan stuff regarding Christ and what he's up to. And happily, we fit right in there. That's where Paul goes next. Make sense? Big picture stuff. Okay, so then he says this. To fit, this wraps up his uh, first half of the letter. He says this nice little thing. There, uh, now, where am I? When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father that you may have power to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Isn't that a nice way to wrap up the first half of his letter? Okay, so that's kind of the first half. Here's where it goes next. Therefore, lead a life worthy of your calling. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, about your relationships, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So stop telling lies and don't sin by letting anger control you. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for, the, for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. That's what we would call the practical suggestions. <laughs> Those are very down-to-earth practical suggestions about how to make relationships work, right? Here's what he says next. Now, regarding your church, these are the gifts Christ gave. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Nice. And then it says, wrapping it all up, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against mighty powers in this dark world. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace eternally be upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, right? Give me an amen. amen. Good stuff, right? Yes, I'm trying to get responses. I'm only getting Charles, <laughs> which is nice, but that's a condensed version of this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians. And I see a load of encouraging things in there about how we can live our lives, both as individuals and as a church community. And I think the first one has to do with how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves and how much that can affect our daily lives, right? Self-perception has such a big role in how we experience life. It just does. That is a core thing. Who am I? Where do I fit in the grand scheme of things? These are the big questions that Paul starts with. That, he spends his whole first half of the letter going with his big picture stuff. Remember, he uses language like this. Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. I don't know how that works, but that's kind of amazing. That's actually super encouraging. I mean, if you were to personalize that, if you were to make it like, I mean, can you imagine actually saying or even believing that this is true about myself? I mean... If I said, Lord Jesus Christ has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because 
I am united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved me. And he chose me in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's good stuff. That, that's good stuff. That's like bedrock stuff. That is powerful. And then he goes on to talk about this mysterious will of Christ, right? The big plan, God's big, big plan. It says this, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And you are all citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house where God lives by his spirit. So he's laying out this giant view of things. And he's saying, here's the deal. Jesus came to reconcile people to God, individuals. Reconcile to God, relationship restored. And then what Jesus is going to do is tear down the walls that exist between groups of people. So you got the Vertical, you got the horizontal. That's the sort of thing that Jesus does. And at just the right time, when, it's, when the time is right, he will connect everything and everyone in this beautiful, powerful, mysterious sort of way. It's all ultimately moving toward connection. And happily, that includes us here now. That's a big picture view. I like that. So what Paul does in this letter is he starts with these big expansive ideas, expanding horizons, heavenly realms, the unlimited scope of God's love, his mysterious plans, et cetera, et cetera, and how we fit in that. Can you see that? That's how he structured his letter. He first vividly describes who God is and how God feels about us and what God has done for us and who we are as a result of all that. Now, I think that's important because what he, he's going to get very specific and concrete in a moment. He, we are going to get lots of practical suggestions. But what he's doing is embedding us in the big picture first. He's trying to seed us within the context of the, the capital S story, the big story. I think that's very interesting, and I think it's the first big encouraging thought from Ephesians. So here's the first encouragement I think comes from Ephesians. Let's live our lives like we're a small but important part of a much bigger story. That's encouragement. You can jot that down if you're a jotter. This is the power of faith, that we could live our lives in this way. That we're small, yes, but we're important. We can find that right balance. That in this big scope of things, I get it. We're just a small piece. But you know what? We have an important part to play. That's a powerful framework to approach life. It really helps us to not think too highly of ourselves and yet not, to, not think too little of ourselves either. And I think it's faith that helps us to see how we fit in this overall scheme of things. I think it's helpful and very helpful. Let's live our lives like we're small but important. Are you with me? Yeah. We're small, but we're important. Small, but important. small, but important. I think that's really actually helpful. It's, you know, it's Frodo, if you want to really. Think. <laughs> but let's leave that. So that's what Paul does. He takes a lot of time to situate us in the story. And then this transition comes about halfway through the letter. The transition looks like this. Therefore, lead a life worthy of your calling. You know what the most important thing is? That word right there. Therefore. 
Therefore, in light, in other words, in light of everything I've just said, in light of all that, in view of all those previous three chapters where I went big, therefore, in view of all of that, okay, in view of who God is and what he's up to and who you are as a result of that, live accordingly. Kind of sets it in the right thing. That therefore is super important because what it does is, remember, he's about to download very practical suggestions. You know, really nuts and bolts. Don't lie, don't cheat, you know, don't be idiots. <laughs> you know, that... <laughs> But here's the thing. When you get practical suggestions and input like he's about to download, you can approach this with two very different attitudes, right? Somebody says, you really ought to do these things. Well, there are basically two approaches. One is you can go, okay, those are the important things. With grim determination, I shall live it out because this is important. It's the Bible, you know. That's kind of the mentality that comes if you're not paying attention to the motivation in the context. You can either have grim determination based on what I should do, or you can have a joyful optimism. A joyful optimism based on who I feel like I really am and what I want out of life. Can you see that these are two very different approaches to how to live life? And I think what Paul's doing here is saying, ah, I'm going to give you some nuts and bolts here, but... Don't go from the grim determination. That doesn't, we, we all, don't we all know grim and determined people in our lives? Especially when it comes to spiritual things, you go, God, is that how, I don't find that very appealing. But this idea of joyful optimism, of course I'm aiming for these things. Of course I want that, but it's coming from a different place. Different motivations produce different results, and you know what? Different experiences of life. They really do. And so that's the big idea here. Now, when Paul finally does get down to brass tacks, guess what? It's all about examining the different relationships in our life, right? He goes on and he says very clearly, now, about your relationships. Boom, he's about to transition now. He talks about family, he talks about spouses, he talks about kids, he talks about work, he talks about church. He's going to make the big transition, and guess what? It's all about relationships. But again, just to remind you, what Paul has done is he set the stage for this suggestion by describing Jesus first, that's the whole first half, as the ultimate mender of relationships. That's what sets this all up. He says, Jesus, here's the deal again. Jesus brings God and people together, connects them. And then Jesus tears down walls of hostility that exist between people and groups. And then ultimately, the big end game, he's going to bring everything together. Okay? Can't forget that. That's the context. That's the big picture of what Jesus is doing. In fact, what that means is that tending to and mending relationships, that's the heart of faith. It's the very heart of what faith is. Because that's who Jesus is, what he did. That's the story, the capital S story that we're a part of. It's all about that. And so that brings us to our second encouraging idea. Let's tend and mend the relationships in our lives. This is a worthy life pursuit. Tending and mending relationships in our lives. I mean, we all have these different types of relationships in our lives, right? Many different kinds, different flavors, and they all require different things to tend to them, to mend them when they need mending. It's a lifelong pursuit, and it is the goal of faith to get good at this. 
you know, Sarah and I lead this marriage class uh, because after 32 years, we, uh, it's not a marriage class. She reminds, it's a relationship class. It's a class on relationships, how to grow in relationships. It's really fabulous, and I don't say that lightly because I'm not ordinarily into things like this, but this one's really good. It's really good because it's based on 30 years of actual scientific research by this John Gottman character, and it's, it's a very interesting approach to relationships. It's all about relationships, how they work, how they don't work, how to tend to them, and how to mend them when they go bad. And you know what? We've, we've done the class now five times. I still like it because there's so much to learn and so much we need to like rehear, and it becomes a life pursuit. Tending and mending relationships is the gig. If you want to follow Jesus, that's what it's going to be about. And if you want a happy life, that's what it's all about. So let's turn this into a very practical suggestion, specific and personal, for you right now today. Can you think of a relationship in your life that maybe needs a little attention? Now, this could be a spouse. It could be a coworker, a neighbor, acquaintance, maybe a kid. Who knows? Is there any tending or mending that might be necessary? Now, I'm, what I mean is, I'm not saying anything grandiose necessarily. It could just be a simple expression of appreciation or maybe just an appointment for fun. Maybe there is some repair work that needs to be done in one of these relationships. Which relationship in your life that you can think of right here in this moment might need a little tending and mending? I want to just give you 30 seconds, and I would love for you to jot this down or type it in just on your own. Is there a relationship in your life you think, yeah, maybe I could put a little energy into that this week? Give me 30 seconds to think about that. Got it? That's a well worth it, well worth the effort. Okay, so what happens next is Paul sticks with this relationship theme, and now he directs it more towards the church community. And here's what he says regarding um, referring to church leaders. Specifically, he says this, their responsibility is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I find that interesting when I think about it. what it's really saying is our job as leaders is to equip everyone else to serve. And sometimes I think we get that flipped. You know, like I'm the one doing the serving by preaching or playing, but it's like, oh, that's not really what it says. We're to equip his people for works of service. That's interesting. Get you doing your thing. Get us all doing our thing, whatever that may be. Each part does its own special work. That's how this thing comes together. And so what, hap- what that means, of course, is if you don't do your part, we're missing out. I'm missing out. Everyone's got to pitch in. So I learned this early on in, in my life of faith, I, and it's a big one. It took, it took a while to settle in. There, the moment when I realized there really is a difference between attending a service and serving other people. They're both good, but there's really a difference. And I've realized that in my own life, my own personal experience, 
the number one thing that has helped me move in the direction I want to in life is by signing up and <laughs> making myself, getting myself in the game, serving one way or another, whether it's this, whether it's that, whether it's behind the scenes, I don't care. I just learned that for me personally, it's the absolute best and most sure way of growing spiritually is to serve in some capacity, in some regular way. And if I'm going to be really honest with you, it's kind of why I do this. I mean, you're great. You're lovely people, and it's a joy to serve alongside of you. But to be perfectly honest, I do this because it does something good for me to get in the game, to be like, i got to show up on Sunday whether I feel like it or not and kind of find out what I really believe. And it really helps me. And the thing is, if my, it's, and it's kind of mind-blowing to me that if my gifts could help you grow, wow, that's extra, that's just gravy. And your gifts help me. That's the picture, right? That's very clearly the picture of how this thing works. That is awesome. That really is awesome. Thank you, Charles. Amen, Amen he says. All right. So here's the, here's the simple takeaway. Let's enjoy other people's gifts in our community and bring our own. That's what Paul's saying, right? Of course, enjoy each other's gifts, absolutely. And bring your own gift to the community in the way that suits you. And that, obviously, everyone's gift looks differently. We want to enjoy each other's gifts and bring our own to the party. That's how things really work best and get the most out of, out of life. All right, so here's where Paul ends his letter. He ends it in an interesting way. He, re, he ends with kind of a reminder, a reminder that says this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Let me just remind you of something. Again, the big picture. Let me remind you, there is a conflict. There is a struggle. There are forces of darkness out there. He's pretty explicit about it. And basically says, don't forget. Don't forget. Don't be naive, he's saying. Now, I, this is how I read it. It's like, you don't, we don't need to be paranoid or wigged out, but we shouldn't be unaware either, right? There are forces out there. There are forces like alienation, isolation, there's unprocessed hurt in all of our lives. There are unchecked negative feelings that swirl around in all of our heads. And these things can give rise to very dark and destructive thoughts. So I think what he's saying here is stay savvy. Okay? Stay alert. Be aware that these dynamics are out there. And let's be sure to reach out for help when that's the case. When we feel any negative energy that's pulling us in the wrong direction, ask for help. I think that's what Paul's saying here, and he ends with that. So that's the final, this last, number four. Let's stay savvy about negative forces that move us in the wrong direction. Let's be wise. Let's stay savvy about it. Let's be aware. Yes, there are forces. Okay, got it. Big picture, yes. Stay savvy. Not paranoid, but aware. Good? Okay, final thought. Lastly, let's go back to Paul's famous prayer. This comes up in, in chapter 3. I love this. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father that you may have power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Is, isn't that awesome? That's my, that's my personal all-time favorite. Now, if you look at that, 
Does it sound like you can fully understand the unlimited nature of God's love? Not really. I, I find it kind of interesting. He says, I'm going to pray for power to understand. You, I'm going to pray God gives you power to understand this huge. Th-. And then he says, ah, forget it. You'll, I mean, we can't understand. We can't understand. I mean, it's too much. I, I don't, we can't understand it. I, who could comprehend? But I won't pray that you can. But he can't. Come on. I mean, that's what he's saying here. I love that. Because what he says is, you can't fully understand it, but may you experience it. See, that's a different game. Can I really comprehend the love of God? Let me say, you know, as opposed to let me experience it, be transformed by that. I like that. I can experience it. And it's not just once. Oh, yes, back in 1987, I experienced a powerful encounter of Jesus and it's fueled me ever since. That's, it's an ongoing moment. You know, it's like I said I loved her back in that when we were young kids. You know, we haven't had a date since, but we're still at, you know, it's like, come on, it's an ongoing experience. So when Paul talks about this boundless love of God, you get the sense that it's ever expanding, high, wide, deep, long, ever expanding, like the universe itself. There is no end to it. So we can always go further into God's love always go further and we can all always grow deeper always it's inexhaustible i like that that makes me want to well maybe not dance (laughs) you don't want me to dance and i don't want to dance but i'm glad that they're about to lead us in some songs because that that feels good how about that let's do that so the, the practical encouragement, of course, is this. Let's always be expanding our experience and expression of love. That's what Paul says. Always. Always be expanding an experience and, of course, an expression of it. That's money. Here's the deal. Let me put it this way. And I know this is one of my favorite things to talk about, but I have the mic, and what are you going to do? Love is the ultimate definition of who God is and what he's doing. Love is the ultimate definition of who God is and what God is doing. It is the big picture, and it is the practical suggestion. That's it. It's the big picture that Paul started with, and it's the practical takeaway. So that's the capital S story that we are a part of. And those are my five encouragements from the book of Ephesians. So, let, let me review real quickly. What was that first one? Oh, yes, small but important. That's a good thing. Remember, let's live our lives like we're small but important part of a bigger story. Let's tend and mend the relationships that are in our lives. Let's enjoy other people's gifts in our community and let's bring our own. That was good. Uh, let's stay savvy about negative forces that move us in the wrong direction, and let's always be expanding our experience and expression of love. These are five helpful and time-tested through the century, through the millennia, pieces of encouragement from the book of Ephesians. I do think these are the things that help life work best, not just individually, but as a community, both. So let me just end with this benediction that came up, and we didn't read it, but it appears in chapter 3. 
Do we have this on the screen? In fact, let's just say this together to close. Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here today. It really is a beautiful thing that we can gather. We don't take it for granted. And we just set ourselves before you, and especially that last suggestion, Lord. If we could experience a bit more of your love today, if we could express a bit more of it to each other, to you, um, we invite you in these few minutes that we have to empower us and to meet with us to make that connection. Amen.